Welcome to the Holistic Wealth Hustle Podcast, where you can get a lifetime upgrade to stop pursuing happiness and start letting joy pursue you. That's right. It's your turn to be pursued by pure joy. This is your host, Pamela Ramos-Brown of Be Wealthy with Pamela, LLC, celebrating 20 years as an experienced management consultant and personal coach. Are you in the mid-sized business race, a woman entrepreneur, solopreneur, or a professional who believes you can always do better for yourself and others? We're there with you, so you won't have to go alone. In every episode of the Holistic Wealth Hustle, we help decode the secrets of all elements of true wealth, not just financial, but also inclusive of life, love, and work. We exchange practical strategies, share inspiring stories, and offer actionable insights to help unlock our authority for the joyful life beyond what we envision. Let's go together from tolerating the ordinary to enjoying the supernatural. Today's podcast is about ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance. That is not make-believe in life, love, and work. Environmental looks at climate change, environmental compliance, and more. And social covers diversity and equality, human rights, employee relations, and more. Governance looks at things like a company's leadership, how executives are compensated, procurement practices, and how money is prioritized, and more. Benefits of an ESG strategy leads to better reputations for corporate responsibilities, reduced costs, and more. And business risks and consequences for not preparing well for holistic ESG, we have a couple of examples for that. For instance, there has been a spotlight on the Texas grid where everyone is holding their breath regarding the Arctic storm. But Fortunately for Texas, they did well. The grid held up and things uh, went well. It wasn't a perfect uh, story, but um, it was definitely a big improvement. And so also there are environmental justice issues that have happened in places like Mississippi, Michigan, Camp Lejeune with those dirty water crises that they've had. And on the social side, which is kind of where I like to focus on to a great extent, is um, when we talked about um, a national company who won an award for best diversity for their commercial that they put out. They actually put out a commercial talking about diversity and they won a national award for it. However, the same company got sued in a class action lawsuit for discrimination. (laughs) So as you can see, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. And also, I read this sign one time. I think I may have been at the beauty shop and uh, Noah was at an office of one of the clients. And I thought it was really cute, but it did kind of remind me of uh, some ESG issues, especially on the social side. And uh, it, it was really talking about the scapegoat mentality. And the sign said, to blame, to err as human and to blame it on someone else shows management potential. 
So let me let you think on that one for a minute. To err is human, but to blame it on someone else shows management potential. So it's a joke, but actually that is something that's practiced in everyday life. When we know we see the poor employees, you know, have to get the hatchet fall on the knife uh, for some of the higher ups who uh, don't want to necessarily take the blame. <laughs> and also, uh, we know that um, this ESG, when people don't have a great ESG with regards to the social side and uh, human rights, um, treating the employee rights and things like that, you know, those are some of the things that have contributed to what we see now, the great net resignation era, the quiet quitting revolution. and um, one of the things that we uh, have seen that we noticed kind of sort of tied to this from a financial accounting and um, consulting perspective is that uh, one of the underlying things that have contributed to these types of things are problems in the workforce where there's, uh, you know, the uh, employer versus the employee situation is uh, this uh, CEO compensation um, has been tied to pleasing stockholders, pleasing the owners, pleasing, um, you know, all of their investors and, and people like that, instead of uh, pleasing their customers and not making employees happy to stay. And so really, uh, some of the, some companies are really realizing just how valuable employees are as um, internal customers. They are, you know, part of what has been coined to be internal customers because these um, are your customers that can, you know, make a break how much uh, revenue you make and how your expenses go. And so we know that CEO, CEOs are making multi-millions in some corporations and uh, there are in many workplaces, there are employees that can barely afford to work at those places. They can barely afford afford to pay for gas to drive to work for childcare. They can barely afford a place to live without sharing space with incompatible roommates where they have to, you know, rent out a room and, and the things like that just to be able to afford to um, live, you know, in an apartment or a home. And then there are uh, these degrading employee reviews versus the company looking to see where there are gaps in um, what the employees need with regards to support and providing those resources. Because I know uh, that uh, a lot of times the employers like them blaming on the employees, but oftentimes it's really the company, the management and um, some of the business practices, that's really the problem in a lot of cases where, um, you know, employees really don't uh, live up to their potential and know how to uh, do a good job for that company or are motivated um, at those companies. And uh, so a lot of times it's because the businesses, you know, refuse to make um, improvements and they refuse to uh, develop their managers on the level that they should be. And so this is, uh, you know, um, ESG on the social side, again, where oftentimes uh, these are some of the consequences that go wrong when you are not on top of your game when it comes to um, that component of uh, ESG. And so today, companies are moving toward a more holistic approach to ESG. And, you know, uh, at uh, Be Wealthy with Pamela, 
Uh, we definitely uh, love the word holistic when we're talking about most things. And so uh, with regards to um, ESG, we certainly like for you to be holistic as well. And so holistic ESG is about looking at the whole business's impacts on the world around it. In other words, businesses are moving beyond going green and addressing the full range of environmental, social, and corporate governance factors. This includes everything from carbon emissions and climate risk to workplace safety and human rights to board compensation and anti-bribery and corruption. Yes, indeed. Now, this um, these are some, um, some information that we received from... Um, Parallel.com and uh, lots of information out there on the web, including Harvard Business Review and et cetera. And so the trend, is, they also say that the trend toward companies moving toward managing ESG uh, is at the asset level. And this is where it refers to using software and sensors to capture data at the source, such as vehicles and equipment. So instead of, you know, just looking at what companies are doing in their departments and uh, what the people are doing, they actually are going to put some software and some sensors on the equipment that those um, employees are using and the vehicles to kind of uh, get a better and a closer look as to, you know, what is going on with those equipment and vehicle and other fixed assets. And so my question is, with regards to this sensor and software, and these are just some being facetious a little bit, I want to know with this software and sensors, um, will it beep every time the manager gets low down and dirty and nasty with the employee? Will an alarm go off at the sound of employees snoring on the job because they are bored to death with some of the things that uh, the companies are asking them to do? <laughs> and on a slightly more serious but not so presently practical note, it would be nice if the software was able to capture everything real time to see if there's a diversity and inclusion in these wealth transactions, such as carbon credits and more. Because with ESG, uh, they're getting everybody to try to stop with emissions and polluting the air and things like that. So they're actually incentivizing corporations. It, anytime that the corporations could say, hey, we um, reduced our uh, emissions. We're not polluting the air anymore by 1%. And so that 1% equals up to a million dollars for us. So uh, can you give us a, a, a check for that $1 million that we just saved the world? And so things like that are happening to some extent, just to put it in simplistic terms. But one of the things that, that really does need to happen is that every time that there is some kind of, uh, you know, money making and wealth building transactions going on, that uh, diversity inclusion should be included in them. And it would be lovely uh, when we get to the day where there's some kind of monitor that is real time that that shows uh, that uh, this is happening. And so um, I was watching a movie recently called Lift and it was starring Kevin Hart and some others. And so I said, well, maybe they can re uh, develop one of those recording devices that was in the movie uh, like Lift is similar that um, it, it, it can go anywhere and it can record Anything from any angle within the vicinity. 
And uh, it would be so nice uh, to see if um, they could use that. They can just have these all over the place and just capture whether or not uh, diversity and inclusion is in all of these uh, uh, business meetings, business deals, money transfers and all of that kind of stuff. And so but of course, with the movie with uh, star Kevin Hart called Lift, uh, we had a good time learning and laughing. So who knows? You never know. May uh, come down to it. So just think about it. If corporations were able to monetize how many times they were able to include minorities by reducing and avoiding the excuses of, hey, we tried, but we were not able to achieve diversity, then wouldn't that be a win for all if they were able to get monetized every time they did achieve diversity? So yes, that would be a win for all because we know money talks. And so sometimes that's what it takes to really get people to do right that that they should do from an ESG perspective. So here are some lessons from history that could be considered useful today. So when we're talking about lessons from history that um, are learning tools, I like to go to the History Channel and also Britannica Online Encyclopedia. Uh, Between the two of them, they show some really good information that I just found is so, you know, enlightening with regards to some things that have happened that we should all learn from. And these lessons came from companies who were excessively focused on competitive profitability. And these were considered to be the big four. And they included the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, and uh, J.P. Morgan, of course. And so uh, one of the things that they talked about that just stood out to me when when I looked at the series was um, the famous... Homestead strike. And this one was the one that involved um, Carnegie. And so in pursuit of the title of the wealthiest man in the world, Carnegie hired an unscrupulous manager. And as a result of hiring this manager, then he was trying to reduce expenses. And we know that, you know, it's harder sometimes to manage the employee side of your financial statement than the expenses side. So what he decided to do is try to, you know, uh, hire this manager in there to uh, reduce his employee expenses. In some cases, he wanted to reduce them by, you know, letting people go. In other cases, he really wanted to reduce them by uh, reducing their salaries. He wanted to really let people go. He wanted to keep people reduce their salaries, increase their workloads, make them work longer hours and decrease their benefits, all kinds of things, Um, have them working in poor, uh, dangerous work environments and, um, you know, all kinds of things like that. Instead of spending money to fix the um, equipment and uh, stuff like that. So it turned out to be as a result of hiring this manager and the the things that the uh, gentleman brought in, uh, it ended up with employees getting shot. There were assassination attempts. There were union fights that took place and it was a mess, not a mess, but a mess. (laughs) And uh, so if you ever get a chance to to watch, uh, you know, about that, you would just um, really be, uh, entertained and enlightened. And so um, the crazy thing about it is that, you know, Carnegie wasn't really experiencing any, um, 
you know, like sometimes businesses go through things where, you know, they are struggling financially. You know, they may not be making enough money to actually pay the payroll. And that's understandable. Sometimes if you just, you know, if your expenses are more than your revenue, then you do have to make some 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 adjustments. But in this, these particular cases for, for a lot of these gentlemen, they were already rich. They were profitable. And these people were working in these dangerous work environments, working 12 hours plus, with, uh, with, uh, they already were working at, you know, not so high level pay anyway, but then they reduced their pay, increased their hours and, um, you know, just made things dangerous for them. And we knew they were dangerous because it was, people got hurt, people got killed. And, uh, so they were working for this low pay and lots of hours were unfit tools while working like heck for the rich. Now that's crazy. And the, the whole thing was about a competition. They wanted to compete against each other to say that, you know, I made the most money without with spending the least amount of money. And um, now I can say that I was more profitable than the other person, you know? And um, so at the expense of the employees, they ended up causing all of these problems for everyone. And of, of course, eventually it did backfire on them. Uh, but these were some of the things that happened, you know, in our history that we all have learned for, from. And believe it or not, you know, we can say what we want to, but we know we look around that there are, you know, organizations that are doing that right now. Because a lot of people are in competition to be the best. And so um, part of it has to do with this, the way that CEOs are compensated. And so there was a big change in the early 90s. I remember it because I was in um, grad school at that time. And so one of the things that we talked about in grad school was, you know, how CEO compensation changed. Now we're in the experience economy and, and different things like that. And so Harvard had a um, article out and they talked about CEO compensation. And uh, one of the things that is happening, like in uh, big firms, is they have this thing called total shareholder returns. And so this means that the companies, everything that they do in the company pretty much has to be focused on making sure that the shareholder gets the highest return for their money because these are the people that invested in their company. So they have to make sure that everything that they do um, involves, you know, maximizing the returns to their shareholders. So it doesn't matter whether or not, you know, that they didn't say how, they didn't say that, you know, uh, even if that means doing what the Carnegie did um, to get to that top total return is, is uh, okay or not okay with them. They just say, hey, we need the maximum return on our uh, investment. And then for other companies, a lot of times the, the uh, uh, CEO compensation is tied to uh, what they call EBITDA, which is the earnings before interest, taxes, and uh, oftentimes depreciation and amortization. And uh, so one of the things, though, that, that may not sound like that they has anything to do with um, employee expenses, payrolls and stuff like that, because it mostly just says interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. But the earnings that they say uh, that they refer to, that's really net income. That means revenue minus expense. And so that 
expense part is where the employee's payroll and salary come in at that point. So the, the smaller amount of the expenses, the bigger the revenue, then uh, that means that the EBITDA is going to be better. And so that's why a lot of times first things companies do is um, look to uh, some one of their biggest expenses, which is oftentimes payroll. That's what these companies did. And like I said, a lot of these companies were um, already uh, wealthy, already profitable. But again, they wanted to be the best. And so they, that's how they decided to be competitive. And so, um, again, uh, this is one of the things that um, Harvard Business Review talked about with regards to um, using some of those um metrics to determine how successful a company is. It says some executives enjoyed a huge windfall from the long-running bull market that was fueled not only by corporate performance, but also by factors beyond management control, such as declining inflation and lower interest rates. So in other words, these CEOs were getting paid, you know, to have um, high performing metrics, but the truth was some of their performance in uh, TSR didn't even come from how well they managed the organization. It simply, some of it was affected by uh, the fact that there was declining inflation and lower interest rates. So they uh, got compensated uh, more based on inflation and interest. And um, they also uh, felt that there was a uh, solution to uh, this Problem, And they said that to promote higher levels of achievement from poor performing CEOs who did benefit from those things, such as, like I said, the inflation and the interest rate. Um, so one way to achieve, uh, to promote higher levels of achievement was to um, look at all levels of the corporation, not just the top and how they must be considered in um, the, the overall um, achievement of the organization. So if you're looking at all levels of the organization, how all levels of the organization, not just the CEO, because we know that the CEO doesn't do everything at the organization. They are not the only ones that's contributing to the organizations. They're not the only ones that should get credit for the company for the organization. And definitely they are not the only ones who should get compensated at the organization. So this is what they recommended. And I, I agree that uh, all levels of the uh, organization should be properly compensated. Now, Harvard Business Review, I'm not sure if they went so far as to say that they should be compensated, but definitely they should be given uh, credit to all of those um, other areas of the organization. But I feel like from the bottom to the top should be compensated and um, it should be not just a certain percentage across the board. It should be um, comparable to um, the level of uh, contribution and uh, equitable. So what's happening now? Well, we see what's happening now. Um, you watch the news. Google just had something very, very recently. And so, um, however, just throughout the last year or so, um, there have been massive layoffs. Um, one uh, staffing agency called Mondo, they had a report and they listed quite a few companies, quite a few uh, companies that had massive layoffs. 
Pixar that's part of Disney. They had a major layoff, even though they had just recently gained 7 million subscribers. They still had a, a major layoff. Uh, Google, Amazon, Xerox, DoorDash, Zoom, Twitter, which is now X, Hasbro uh, that makes the toys for, for the kids and State Street from the banking se sector and several more. So there have been massive layoffs and we don't know whether or not all these layoffs, layoffs have been because the companies don't have enough to pay the employees or if in a lot of these cases, um, companies are letting go of, of employees because they're using more technology with the artificial intelligence, um, augmented reality, all kinds of things that um, they are using to um, turn into automation versus employees. And so, um, and there, there are a multitude of things that uh, companies are doing to, um, you know, invest in instead of employees. And so, um, but if, of course, there in some cases, there are companies uh, that are uh, laying off employees because of, uh, you know, challenges of um, their revenues not being sufficient enough to keep the employees. But there is a story that um, I learned from the History Channel as well that was very encouraging. And this was about the Hershey uh, Chocolate Company, and uh, which, which was led by Milton Hershey. And I was really impressed by the fact that during the Great Depression, when everybody else um, let all of their employees go, a lot of them shut down. Um, but Milton Hershey did not. He kept all of his employees on the job. His his accountant, you know, took the initiative to put together a plan of who all would, he, the uh, company was going to let go, and you know, worked uh, gave them gave them some uh, projected financials of if he let you know these number of employees go in this department, this number of employees go in this department, how they could stay afloat, still be profitable, this, that, and the other. And uh, Milton Hershey sent them back to the drawing board. He said, nope. He said, I want to keep all of the employees. And um, so uh, that's what he was able to do because that's what he decided to do as a leader. And uh, so he decided to make whatever adjustments that he needed to make to keep his employees there working. And one of the things I learned about him, too, um, after I learned, looked more into um, his company and how he ran things. And I'm not saying he was a perfect person. He has a little reputation for being, you know, some imperfections, of course. But uh, one of the things that I did see that was very encouraging is that when he, he moved his company into this um you know, kind of a rural type of area to build his factory. Then he also uh, built housing for the people and for the people who didn't live there. He also had a uh, transportation for them to get to work. Um, he ended up building a school. Uh, he ended up uh, helping to support the orphans um, and all kinds of things that he did that really would make him a good ESG leader today. And uh, so one of the things that he did, he got uh, very creative. He um, when the employees didn't have uh, uh, enough, there was not enough work coming in uh, for chocolate sales and the employees didn't have enough work to do to uh, produce chocolate because um, the chocolate was not selling as well because of the depression. So he began doing building projects where he was doing repair and construction type projects throughout the um, area. 
And then he was fortunate enough to get a contract with the uh, military to provide rations for soldiers because, you know, hey, who doesn't love chocolate? The soldiers got got a chance to get some of that good chocolate, too. (laughs) So wasn't that wonderful? So, uh, again, even though they were not perfect and they had employee issues like most um, organizations, um, one of the big pluses on the books is the way that they uh, were committed to keeping their employees. And that's something that really can be modeled for some of today's issues. And um, then we also had um, um, another lesson that we learned from it. You know, we had um, JP Morgan and he was a person that had accumulated so much wealth and so much knowledge from a financial perspective that the whole entire, the the United States, because they didn't have their own central bank at that time, they ended up having to turn to this one man, one man that the United States had to turn to, to bail out the whole country during the financial crisis. And as a result of that, we now today have the Federal Reserve. So that is something that's uh, truly amazing. And uh, so we look at it now with the, the still the top. If you look at the wealth of the United States, it still rests in the hands of, uh, I think it's somewhere between one to three percent. And it's in the uh, percentage is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So we're almost getting back to that time where, you know, the entire wealth of the entire United States is going to, you know, is just about in the hands of one or a few people, a handful of people. So, okay, so here we go. Uh, We have to learn from history and do something about it. But we all know the saying that history repeats itself. So I'm hoping that's not one that we'll go back to anytime soon. So also the best news is that uh, these uh, gentlemen, eventually did use their competitive spirits for good. They decided instead of being the, the uh, trying to be the most competitive of who can, you know, cut employees' salaries, make employees work the longest hours and get by with the cheapest uh, labor as possible so that they can maximize their profitability. So they, 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 um, did a different thing with their competitive nature. They started using it for good by seeing who could be the biggest philanthropist, <laughs> which was good. We all um, ended up uh, benefiting from that because they created and contributed to mega le- legacies such as the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Carnegie Hall, Rockefeller Plaza, and a multitude of libraries, schools, museums, and more. So there are a lot of things that they contributed to that um, really did benefit us, continues to benefit us uh, today. We hope that everybody learned a good lesson from this and that we use this to improve our current situation and our future. And for those of you who aspire to be wealthy with Pamela, are you prepared to do what you need to do to do right with your fortune and power when it comes to you? That is my question. Thank you for continuing to be a part of the Holistic Wealth Hustle podcast by Be Wealthy with Pamela LLC. Each episode is designed to please. Be sure to take swift action on what you have learned today and update your weekly wealth planner or your holistic plan workbook 
to receive your rewards of joyfulness. Feel free to leave your comments below or by contacting us at www.bewealthywithpamela.com. That's B-E, wealthy with P-A-M-E-L-A.com. Please subscribe, share, stay tuned, and let joy pursue you.